And so my entire wow. life was was music and the creation of music and, and all of that. Um, and then when things happened in March, it was you're going 100 miles an hour and you just slam into a wall. Everything that had my time and my energy was ripped out from, from under me. Um, and as the studies became visible um, from the Colorado study and, and the Nats and the ACDA journal saying, singing is absolutely not a safe thing to do right now. That was just a dagger to the heart because everything that we had done for two, three years um, at Music Off Main was gone. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Today's guest is Sandra Kruger. Sandra is the director of drama for the College of the Albemarle in North Carolina, but that's not what she was doing in March 2020 when the world fell apart. See, back then, Sandra was the associate director for Music Off Main, a studio that specialized in early childhood music education. But when COVID shut down the ability to safely sing in person, the studio space they rented was no longer a financially viable option. Suddenly, Sandra's work in music education and her personal career in opera were ripped away. So in the fall, she took on a new role as director of drama for a community college in rural North Carolina. Within days, she faced a dilemma. How do you safely put on a theatrical production in the middle of a pandemic that even shut down Broadway? Her answer? Puppets. <laughs> You are in for a real treat this episode. Sandra's story is completely bonkers, as is the way that our paths intersected. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Sandra, including any clips mentioned in the course of our conversation. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you... Sandra Kruger. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. Capture full, high-quality, raw audio in up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right. Even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. pronounced Sandra, right? Just like it sounds, yeah. just like it looks? Yep. Sandra Agens Kruger. Kr and Kruger. Yeah. Okay. Because that could have gone either way. <laughs> I felt confident with Sandra, but you never know. You never know. So what are you, what are you working on right now? Like this week, this weekend, what, what, I mean, it, uh, it's Thanksgiving, so maybe not this weekend, but like what's on your plate right uh, now? We are actually in, uh, we're knee deep in production for our next show. We are doing Elf the Musical, which is presenting its own challenges um, because it is not safe to sing right now. And so what we are doing is taking the lead off of um, the virtual choirs 
and we are recording our soloists live and then meeting them up to the the accompaniment track so they can basically lip sync uh to their own vocals for the show yeah oh, that's man. the face i made too because this is a huge <laughs> it's a huge project um and it's um, but the the thing that's wonderful is that it gives our it gives our actors a way to experience the musical as it should be done um, while still keeping us as safe as possible. Um, the other thing that's helpful with Elf is that it's set in contemporary New York. Everybody in New York is wearing a mask. There we go. Um, Wow, that yeah, there you go. That that's that that kind of answers that question. I feel like we've been watching on TV now in the fall, and some shows have decided to have people wearing masks, like the characters wearing masks, as if it is set in modern times. And some shows have decided, no, we're going to find other ways to safely uh, film without masks and pretend like this isn't happening. Uh, so you just decided lean in. Yep. Let's not pretend this isn't happening. There, there was a moment. Um, I, I'm new to this position. I accepted this position in August and started teaching ten days later. So, you, you, you started this in August, uh, in the middle of all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I accepted the Oof. director of drama in August, and then kind of the the mantra for me this semester has been embrace the suck because <sighs> it it is it is going to look different. It by necessity has to, but that doesn't mean we have to stop. It just means that we have to find new and creative ways to create something authentic and to create something of value without concession. You know, it's it's we can sit we can sit back and go, well, I guess we're not doing anything this year. But that does such a disservice to the momentum that we need as creative people and and um, for the education of the students at the college. So it was kind of this idea of how do we lean in hard. Um, and and accept the situation that we have and make the most of it. And in a lot of ways, it's been beautiful because things have unlocked themselves that I wouldn't have entertained if we didn't have these these confines in place. I I just love that you have in the middle of this crazy year the the role that you took on was director of drama. Yeah. It was like, yeah. How about that? <laughs> Can you direct us off in a different direction, maybe? Yeah, um, some be... of the drama for the stage, that would be great. Um, there's yeah. so much that went into yeah. it. Yeah. So. I, I can see, though, that you're energized in a way that so many people in the arts and in the live event community, uh, which is my whole community. I mean, I, I was in the worst possible industry to be making a living basically for 16 years. I've been in the live event industry and specifically the conference industry. So most of my living was giving speeches at conferences with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people shoulder to shoulder for five days. It's like, oh, that's never coming back, you know? And it's and you see photos and videos of things that we were doing just in January and February of people shoulder to shoulder in the, like Broadway theaters and stuff. And you go, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack looking at this photo. <laughs> Can you imagine going like, how do we, how do we get back to yeah. that? Do we get back to that? I don't know. <laughs> well, we were, um, I'm part of the Virginia Opera Chorus. I'm a, I'm a professional opera singer as well and uh, mezzo-soprano. Wow. And so we were literally 48 hours from our first stage run of Aida, which is enormous. And we, we're so close to having the da the dancers there and the orchestra there. And we were in our final room run on a Wednesday and the room was electric in a way that it was palpable. It was just this sense that we knew, we, we knew. 
And they left it, we, you just leave it all out on the boards. And then Friday, um, they closed everything down. And we were this, oh, it's just heartbreaking because that music is it's... so glorious and you can't do it by yourself. You have to collaborate and to have it be that close. <laughs> and then just... Uh, anybody will have heard my two sentence intro for you, but let's back up for a second and tell me back in January or February, before COVID, before we really knew what COVID was, uh, if someone had asked you, if you met someone at a networking event and they said, what do you do? What would you have told them then? That would have been completely different. Um, I was I was part of a musical endeavor with a dear friend of mine, Kelly Balmaceda. Together, we were a company called Music Off Main. And we specialized in private vocal instruction um, for all ages. We, we have a program, we had a program called Mini Maestros that was for um, little toddlers up through preschool. We had the Albemarle Youth Choir called AYC that was for um, second grade up through 12th grade in two graded choirs. And we did private, we had private studios. So I'm, I, had, I had 12, 13, students at that time. Um, and we were producing musical works. We mounted a production of Hansel and Gretel um, in December. Um, we did sacred works. We did recitals, all of this. Um, and we had a studio space that was the, uh, it was just absolutely such a gift. Um, and that was the bulk of my time um, was at Music Off Main, or I was teaching at the College of the Albemarle um, in the capacity of music appreciation. And so my entire wow. life was was music and the creation of music and, and all of that. Um, and then when things happened in March, it was you're going 100 miles an hour and you just slam into a wall. Everything that had my time and my energy was ripped out from from under me. And um, mm. I'm grateful I had the music appreciation class so I could kind of, you know, keep that momentum going forward. But um, as it became abundantly clear um, and as the studies became visible um, from the Colorado study and, and the Nats and the ACDA journal saying singing is absolutely not a safe thing to do right now that was just a dagger to the heart because everything that we had done for two, three years um, at Music Off Main was gone. Um, and in that time, um, my my business partner, her husband is in the Coast Guard and he got transferred down to Florida. And so mm -hmm. I was in the position to, are we, you know, am I gonna continue this? And it's just not feasible um, to maintain rent for a space that I can't teach in. Um, and while all of that was happening, um, there was a, a situation at the college where one drama professor left. And I, I was just in the background going, I can fill in a couple classes if you want. And, uh, and, and somehow um, they either, I, I don't, I think they rewrote some of the terms of my contract to allow me to take the drama position. Because um, my study, my, my graduate degree is in opera music theater performance. And so I'm, I'm qualified to teach the courses, but it's been a hot minute because everything was music related. And so, um, yeah, if you would have asked me in January, this question would have a absolutely completely different answer um, based off of where all yeah. of my energy and where all of my projects were. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's been two major pivots for you this year. The first was you, your personal professional 
career, like your independent professional career had to shift out of a business that you were running on all the energy to, I'm going to focus, double down on teaching and take on this new position. Cause maybe that's the only way forward. We can't actually sing, but I can still teach, you know, and teach virtually, I guess I, I imagine was pretty much what happened. And then you also have had the, the pivot, the, what brought us together through our mutual uh mutual friend and adam krutinger uh the puppet master of the world um you and uh, you and i got connected because you made this massive pivot within the theater that you now are the director of drama uh for so first let's go back to the 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 professional pivot that that you made so you realized you can't sing um, I mean, you can't, I mean, you can sing by yourself in the shower, but you can't go out and sing anymore. You can't sing for an audience yeah. and maybe talk me through first for yourself professionally, how you, how you were able to reinvent what you do, what you had to go through to do that emotionally or, or otherwise. And then let's talk about what everyone's going to want to hear about, which is the craziest story of how you were able to put on live theater safely in the most unlikely way you would imagine. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> in some ways, the directing of, of shows and, and the theatrical element has always been a part of what I've done. Um, we were fairly recent to North Carolina. And, and before I moved here, I was in Ohio. I was the vice president of the Findlay Light Opera Company. And with that company, um, I, I have a huge love for Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. I just think they're charming. Um, and I was in an area that had no idea what that was. And so um, I did a series of, of shows called The Dating Game, where I took Gilbert and Sullivan characters and put them on a dating game and you have to try and match them up and all of that. And, and it gave people <laughs> a chance to know who these characters are, what their aries are, all of that. And it was, it was lovely. And then we thought, okay, let's go bigger. Uh, let's do HMS Pinafore, which is one of my favorites. And I said, no one is going to come see HMS Pinafore. Star Trek is big. It all happens on a ship. So I rewrote the lyrics and made it the USS Pinafore, the last who loved a red shirt and <laughs> filled the stage with triple. It was great. <laughs> so, well, on the day that I discovered that, um, uh, there was a, a Klingon word, um, targ, T-A-R-G, um, and and in Pinafore they talk they talk about the tar, the sailor, the tar. I'm like, well, I'm done, and so it's just kind of, just kind of made that all happen. So um, wow, the, I, I really thrive in those areas where I can I can see how can I make this different, how can I make this approachable, and that's that's just kind of been um, always at the at the back of my creative process. And so um, when when March hit, I cried a lot, um, and it took me uh, it took me about a month to figure out okay what's next. And at that point, we had every expectation that we would have something normal in like June, maybe. Um, and so I started throwing myself into summer camp projects and music camps and and things of that nature. And then as COVID just keeps dragging on and the numbers aren't great. Um, it, it started to hit this point where you just kind of throw yourself at the floor and go, what am I doing? Why does this matter? Um, but you keep going because that's what you do. It's just the work is there and, and we have to keep going. And then um, right around mid-June, I was, I was informed um, that this drama directorship was opening up. 
And I thought, well, you know, I've been teaching at the college for a couple of years. I know the area. I know, I know these students. I know what I would want to do here. And so I threw my hat in the ring. And then um, August 6th, I think they said, do you want the job? I said, yes. And they said, great. You start in 10 days. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was intense. And, and it, what happened? What happened in those 10 days? I mean, did you literally get introduced to the program, the people you'd be working with, the actors, all of that? And how quickly did you have to make a production? I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I, I've never had a job, so I don't know. How to <laughs> I, uh... um, I don't advise starting it this way. Um, it'll, <laughs> it'll throw into sharp relief everything that you don't know. And you get imposter syndrome really badly, very quickly. Um, the the sure. thing that was nice is that this is, um, I, I'd been working on this stage um, as a community theater outreach um, for a couple of years. So I knew um, some of the creative team already. Um, as soon as, as I said, I would take the job, I had to change the, the fall show um, because they had, what was chosen for me was Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And that needs a lot of pre-production to do it well. And I didn't feel comfortable with that at all. And so I was thinking about who normally auditions in this area, what type of show do I feel comfortable doing, taking into consideration the size of the set that was already going to be on the boards. Um, I had done a show in Ohio called The Ghost of Rhodes Manor. And I thought, all I have to do is move one door from the noises offset, I, if I can just move that one door, I can save the entire set um, and move more quickly. And it was a show that I I kind of remembered. Um, if I did it over again, oh, I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> but um, there were there was enough familiarity and enough um, marshalling of the resources that I knew would be available that that was open to me. Um, so I made the change to go with Ghost of Rhodes Manor, and then before the semester even started we had a meeting um, with the, the college's foundation and with the box office manager to talk about what, what can we do in light of the governor issuing new orders and all of this. And um, someone floated the question of, can we even do theater at all? And the, the answer in my head was absolutely yes, we have to, we can't not. Um, and somebody said something like, if there was just a way that we didn't have to deal with masks, and I thought, well, Avenue Q doesn't have to worry about that. I can do puppets. Yeah, we can do this. And so during the meeting, I'm frantically, you know, checking YouTube for anybody that has a tutorial that looks like I can do this. And Adam popped up and was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. And after seeing that and seeing how approachable he made it, I was thinking to myself, OK, um, we let, let's just do this. And then um, like a couple of weeks in when we realized we're not building one puppet, we are building 12. <laughs> we are building with people who have never cut a, a sewing template in their life. We are playing, we're, we're asking people to thread a sewing machine, which they've never done. We're asking them to do so much, but there was just this sense of, this is what we're doing, get on board because it's either this or, or nothing right now. And when you're in the trenches like that, the, all of that self-doubt by necessity leaves you because you have to lean into the decision that you've made. Um, and, and it came up with a beautiful product. I mean, I just, I'm floored about how well it worked. <laughs> really I, 
I, I'm anywhere that this conversation shows up in media form, video, audio, or otherwise, anybody should go look for the description of wherever this happens to be, where I'll have links to the video that you did with Adam, where you showed the puppets behind the scenes and talked through. Cause it, it was, and you didn't just follow his patterns. You actually made them bigger, right? <laughs> because our, our theater seats, 900 people. And the, the scale of um, the puppet that he has on his on his free setup, because uh, like for me in, in theater, I've I've always been in smaller towns where our unofficial motto is broken homeless, where you have to try and make as much as you can out of as little as you can. So when I saw sure. the word free, I was like, awesome. Um, yeah, so we made I made a prototype and it's adorable. I mean, this puppet is so cute, way too small. <laughs> And so I just took the patterns to the copier machine and I enlarged to 122. I'm like, that's better. It's still not great. 155. That'll work. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then we had to experiment with the scale because then the body was so out of proportion. I mean, it was just enormous. So it's it's the normal size body with a gigantic melon of a head. Um, but that, wow. that let us make enormous facial features where they read to the back of the house brilliantly. I mean, it's there was there wasn't a bad seat because you could see absolutely every detail because of the scale of the puppet. So you were able to wear masks. Now, if you know anything about audio and, and I say this to people a lot, audio is visual. People don't realize how visual audio is. And without being able to see a mouth move, yes. it's really hard to understand what someone is saying through a mask. And it's exhausting to talk through a mask. I think it, to me, it feels like when I'm having a normal conversation with someone and I'm wearing a mask, it feels like I'm exerting three times to four times as much energy as a normal conversation at the same distance. So why did puppets solve the problem? Because you still got a mask on. Mm -hmm. So why why did the mask why did the puppet solve the intelligibility problem? It's it's really remarkable because when we think about lip reading, um, have you ever seen the bad? You've probably seen the bad lip reading on YouTube and things mm -hmm. like that. It's that type of thing. We're not necessarily looking for a complete closure or formation. We're looking for clues, right. and right. with the puppet, just enough of this, just enough. See, you're looking at my hand. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I looked right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, um, just that that little bit of a cue helps the audience process the information faster, but also making my actors think about it's not this that's talking; it's this that's talking. There's a different energy from the actor paired with that. So we kind of got bang for the buck there. Um, that it both helps the actor and helps the audience because we're both conceptualizing the sound is not emanating from something that we can't see here, but that it's coming from over here. And and that really just snapped everything into place for us in a really tangible way. And, and I feel like in addition to that, having seen the video you did with Adam, the uh, interview that you did where each of your uh, actors came up and did their character for a minute and spoke as the character, uh, you also because they're puppets, you get to use exaggerated voices uh, and get away with that. And I'm sure that that helps because now you're not you're not expecting a normal human voice yes. to sound like a normal human voice, right? Yes. And also, um, yeah. it was really special in another way because one of our castmates um, is on the autism spectrum. And oh. she was phenomenal because you put a puppet on her hand and all of a sudden we're not looking at her, we're looking at her puppet. 
And she made enormous decisions and choices for herself and her character. And it was magnetic to watch this unfold and, and just to see wow. her grow as an actor um, because there's freedom in that, that it's it's over here. And when you direct your energy somewhere else and we all invest in the reality of that, um, mm -hmm. it, it allows for some phenomenal play. Um, and everybody, like the script of The Ghost of Rose Manor is not Shakespeare. It's, it has plot holes in it. I, it's just kind of ridiculous. And and I tell people, it's like Agatha Christie and the Clue board game had a theater baby that hung out with Scooby-Doo. That's what this show has to be to work. And because it's ridiculous and because puppets are kind of ridiculous, um, yeah. it worked so well. Now, if I, if I got to do it again, I would never pick a show that involves tying characters up, um, transferring hand props. Like I, And that was the other thing I was thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to tie this, this character up? And so we had three ninja puppeteers just dressed in black that were there to assist with the bigger prop things. And it worked amazingly well. You forget <laughs> that they're there until all of a sudden it's like, oh, how did that gun get? Oh, there she was. You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it what, what a great thing, because that's that's the goal of all good theater and anything related to theater is to to get out of the way of the audience. Right. You know, to do whatever is necessary to get out of their way so that they can just invest. And it just sounds like you were able to. It sounds like you were able to by by being so creative for yourselves and just being able to fulfill what you wanted to do as artists and continue doing theater because you want to do theater and you need to do theater that you were also able to give the audience in this weird, you know, socially distanced. Is this even safe? I'm a little nervous, but I still want to come out world. You're able to let them let go and forget about that for a little while and just get it in involved in in some other reality, which is which is what theater has always been here for. Yeah. And that yeah. the lovely thing is hearing people it took them a while to adjust because they were thinking, do I look at the actor? Do I look at the puppet? Do I look at the actor? But, but after about two minutes, you really forget that the people are there. It's the weirdest thing. It's, yeah. It's and it's, just... it's no different than seeing Avenue Q on Broadway either is that people still have to take the two minutes to adjust to that. Um, and then, and then that's it. And then, and then they're in if, if it's done well and then, and then they're in. And, and honestly, it's not, it's, it's, that's really no different than simply watching a play without puppets either. Cause for a second you have to, you have to go, all right, do I really believe that these people are who they are, or these are that are these these characters doing these outlandish things that clearly aren't really happening, you know. And um, especially when you see something stripped down, like I had the very very good fortune of seeing uh, the revival. I want to say it was about ten years ago, the Broadway revival of Waiting for Godot with Nathan Lane, and it was um, outrageous. I mean, you know, and it's like the most minimalist play you could ever look for, and you just believe it, and you believe it all. How would you describe your 2020 this year in one word? There's that sigh that everybody does when I ask that question. <laughs> um, opportunity. In uh, what way? Uh, that, like we were discussing earlier, anything that we would do that is trying to imitate what came before is insufficient. And there are, there are, avenues that we have to pursue by necessity that would not have been given a green light 
four months ago. Um, the the opera house in Detroit did um, a stripped down ring cycle in a parking garage, and it is amazing. <laughs> they like burned out car chassis, and I mean, it's just you know, I mean, and, and we we have there's a friend of mine um, in in California with the Pacific Opera Project who is he rewrote lyrics for Cosi Fantute uh, to be COVID Fantute. I mean, it's just like <laughs> we have to be creative because we we can't do a pale imitation. We have to see where we are and adapt and move forward. And that's the beautiful thing about theater is that that's what we do. We adapt and we move. Um, and uh, And to kind of break out of some of the preconceived notions of what art is or what art is supposed to be and say, yeah, that's what it was. We can't do that now. So let's try this. And we don't mm -hmm. necessarily know what's going to last, but that's not the point. The The idea that we have the freedom to experiment and, and throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks yeah. and see what's valued um, and, and what is feasible moving forward. Um, to have the freedom to play in that space without the expectation of, you know, well, is it going to be as good as what? It, I don't know. I mean, let's just try it. Yeah. It might and it might not. But <laughs> I, I am so happy to hear you say that because this has been a point missed by so many people that in the arts community uh, and and the performers community, the communities I'm involved in that have really many people, too many people have really just checked out, given up, not tried this year and just went, all right, forget it. I'm either going to wait till the world comes back or I'm out. I'm still involved, obviously, in the magic community. And so many magicians I've talked to this year, dozens and dozens of them who were full-time excellent performers and have basically thrown in the towel on our driving trucks for Amazon now. Um, and they've been like, uh, it's just, it's not as, it's not as good. It's not, you know, what, what, what if it doesn't live up to the audience or the client's expectations? And I said, what expectations? The audience doesn't know what a virtual magic show is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like. They have no idea. The client doesn't know. This is, I said to somebody recently, I was like impassioned and yelling at them. I was like, what show would you do in your head if there were no restrictions and no expectations? This is it. You've been given the gift. Yeah. This is your year to do the show in your head. People can't even heckle you. You can mute everybody. <laughs> they can't reach over and drunk people can't grab the cards out of your hands. You can just do whatever you want. What would you do if you could do whatever you want? You know, what a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I I, uh, I love that. And you've spoken really, really passionately and elegantly and eloquently about all the different characteristics and, and traits of theater and theater people in creatives in general that have allowed those people to succeed this year. But I want to know you specifically, which characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say were crucial to your success uh, or at least survival this year? <laughs> the nice thing is be a, being a singer and, and coming from that um, standpoint, um, you get maybe, I think Kirsten Flagstad said, you get three great singing days a year and no one's going to hear you on those days, you know? Um, <laughs> so like um, you have to do the work to do the work. You, you have to, you have to kind of set your own, um, your own expectation of yourself and um, our, our big thing at our theaters, we don't let the ship sink. And, and so um, I found that being able to lead by example and to lead, I, I'm very much a lead with enthusiasm type of personality. Um, and so to be able to throw myself into the work, knowing that the work was good, 
um, and believing in the product, regardless of if anybody saw it. This sounds so weird, but even if nobody saw it, the work is good. And and um, my husband's a physicist, and so you know the whole idea that once once statistical <laughs> things are out in the world, you know they 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 don't yeah. leave; they're just going out in space. And so there yeah. was some bizarre comfort in knowing that even if nobody but my cast saw this, this was good. This was good work. You know, in the event that no one sees it, hey Adam, you don't know me from anyone. I took your free stuff and made this. Um, and the fact that that he responded and the universe responded in the way that it did um, was so, so amazing. And when you talk about life as being a shared experience, that's what it feels like. It's just that we are in a very small part of Northeastern North Carolina. And, um, and the fact that we've been able to show what we've done off of a thank you note, he didn't have to answer, you know, but the fact that he did and, and, and the takeaway that my students have from that has been such a phenomenal gift. Um, you have so much enthusiasm. Well, we're going to do it. That's just what we do. You use that phrase so many times. Well, it's just what we do. And I, I don't think that's a commonly held. I think that's something that you believe deeply. And I don't know if it's that commonly held. And it strikes me as the people in your life and in your orbit um, that you get to come in contact with are very lucky to have somebody in their life that believes that, that we do it because we do it. And that's it. What is your outlook right now? Ooh, um, I think there needs to be, I, I think, I think what's going to happen um, a couple of months down the road when we have consumed a lot of art without realizing it. Um, my, my area uh, geographically is notorious for cutting funding to arts. Um, and, and vocal programs don't really exist here. Um, bands and orchestras try, but, but it's hard um, for, for people to see the value in that because in order to have great art, you're gonna have to start somewhere. And the start is messy. Your brother knows this. The start is messy and out of tune and beautiful. And um, I, I think that as we start to understand, um, once we've seen a lot of things and then people, will either get burned out by it or, or crave something different. I think that as soon as we understand that screens don't replace human interaction, I really hope that people will seek out live performance opportunities in a way that they haven't before. Because, you know, for the past decade or so, everyone is, would always say, well, I don't have to go to the opera because I can just watch something on my phone, or I don't have to go somewhere because I have this. And now we're to the point where like, oh my gosh, if I spend another half hour in front of a screen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that valuing the energy that is in the room at a live performance, I think that people who didn't understand that magical aspect of it are craving it in a way that they haven't before. And so it's hard to be super duper hopeful at the moment for me personally, because opera is where my heart is. And that one, we're trying, we really are. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of bodies in a room. And so um until we can get to the point where we can safely do what do a semblance of what we had done before. Um, I am excited about the ability to just try and try stuff and see what happens. And so I don't know when we're going to get there, but I hope 
that that's what people take moving forward, that coming together is a joy, creating together is a joy, um, and that there's no substitute for that interaction. Well, Sandra, I really, really appreciate uh, your time and your enthusiasm and sharing your story and going into all the nitty gritty craziness of this year. I'm really excited for uh, you and your story to be a part of, obviously, video podcast, and the audio podcast and all that stuff. But also, I have I have a feeling that you will probably play something of a prominent through line in in the book itself, in spite of the fact that I probably will have 40 plus uh, people I've talked to at that point. You've got <laughs> such a it's such a great um uh, you have such a top level view of kind of what happened this year, um, having gone through so many different different aspects of one of the most difficult industries, if not the most difficult industry to be in, in the midst of everything uh, that happened. So uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I wish you uh, and your theater all the best. Uh, stay in touch, of course. Uh, continue connecting. Stay safe. Yes. This weekend, stay out of airports. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Please. Oh, my God. 